Thank you, Beth. We gave Beth a long one this week, too. I'll be honest. Um, traditionally, you know, if you've been here at Reliance for a while, you know that we like to take pericopes, longer sections, and walk our way through that. Uh, Romans 12 has been challenging to me because the Christian ethic is placed within its simplicity. And so it causes the reader, it should cause the reader to read it slowly. And the concepts that are being revealed are stated in merely a one verse. And they have significant um, depth to them that I think is only fitting to go at it one verse at a time. And I think it would be to our benefit that we do. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. And when we do so, we worship Christ. Many of you might not be familiar, some of you might. Familiar with a man named Ignatius. He was the bishop of Antioch. He's the disciple of John the Apostle. And it was fitting in his time that he wrote this, and I think it's been fitting in every generation, in which it's been caused to know the theology of God, but then not to understand how to live it in reality that he writes. It is fitting then, not only to be called Christian, but to be so in reality. And if there was any way to simplify Romans 12, I think this would be it. And that he recognized in his own day, there's there's this danger to know the principles of God, yet not live them out and bear its fruit in everyday life. It is fitting then, not only to be called Christian, but to be so in reality. If you guys are unaware of who Ignatius was, he was quite the tenacious man. In fact, he writes many of these words that we have known today in light of his journey to the Colosseum in Rome, in which he was going to be, and if you see his pictures today, he is clothed in his bishop clothing with two lions uh, grappling at him, in which he ultimately found his destiny. Uh, being thrown into the Colosseum and dying for his unwavering faith. On his way to Rome, he wrote to Polycarp, who also was a disciple of John. And as he knew and what was coming to him, he wrote to Polycarp, stand firm, like an anvil being struck with a hammer. It is the mark of the great athlete to be bruised, to be tested, and yet still conquer. There's a reality at which we all recognize, I think, that we want to be found faithful to the tests that God gives us in the season that we live. One of the reasons why I'm super thankful for Romans chapter 12 is that the fruit of the Spirit, which we have all inherited through through faith in Christ, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the means of actually seeing and testifying that our faith is genuine is not solely tested Merely and only in the Colosseum. No doubt, I think we could look at it, people like those before us, like Ignatius and Polycarp, and we can look at their faith and their commitment to the faith and say, yes, they were faithful to the end. 
But Romans 12 was written for the beloved, for those in Christ, to know and taste whether their faith was genuine in the ordinary. It does not take the Colosseum to test our faith, but rather those in Christ know that they are following Christ in the ordinary ways of life. It doesn't take the Colosseum to determine that faith is actually genuine. And yet we recognize that uh, sometimes we struggle in the ordinary days of life and exercising our faith. It is interesting. Ignatius wrote these things in a time that it was not popular to be called Christian. In his era, and as the time would go on, Christians were blamed for everything. Earthquake, famines, plagues. They write, it's the Christians who caused these things. It was a dangerous time to be a pastor. It was a dangerous time to gather. And as he writes, even on his way to Rome, he writes these things to the church because something happens when the church gathers. And he writes, Imagine, in a time that's dangerous, make every effort to come together more frequently to give thanks and glory to God. For when you meet together frequently, the powers of Satan are overthrown and his destructiveness is nullified by the unanimity of your faith. Something happens when the church gathers What? Satan in his message is reminded frequently there's another one. And the bond in which brothers and sisters share together in their gatherings, in their fellowship, proclaim to those who are watching and to one another of the witness of what Christ has done through the power of the gospel. So Paul writes Romans 12. It is the Christian ethic. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Something happens. Something is happening when we sing together, when we greet one another, when we pray with one another, when we enjoy one another. Surely none of us is going to have their, maybe, it seems like in this city, like our faith will be tested within the Colosseums. It seems like that is not a threat for those who live in Tri-Cities, no doubt. But I do believe that the scriptures here remind us of one's opportunity in Romans 12 to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, the genuineness of our faith as it is worked out in the ordinary, not just in the Colosseum. Because we must regularly be reminded that because of Christ and his gracious work, we are a family. And this is our first point. I must acknowledge something here. I want to... I want to balance in the way that I handle this issue because there's something in me where I want to plead with us as if some of us don't believe these things. I hear how the world thinks in some ways that we haven't helped ourselves out in the way that we treat our gatherings at times from the world's perception. It's a moment or an hour on a Sunday morning for entertainment that we're sometimes classified with the movie theater. They gather, don't they not? And is merely as their gathering equivalent to that which what the church does. And the way that we presented ourselves to our community has caused some confusion. And I might say that 
I find myself pleading against that mindset. And the reality is, is that over the last two years, I don't know of any other season where the genuine brotherhood of the beloved has been more tested. What is more required is more faithfulness and more patience and more humility in these last days. And so, with that said, I want to be careful and acknowledge the reality you have been good, gracious. Not to say that we have been perfect, no doubt. We have had to be patient with one another. We've had to be brotherly. And so I find myself wanting to remind us ourselves as we plead with each other to hold fast to these words as it is the temptation to not hold to these things. We worship the king. We honor him when we devote ourselves to each other. That's worship. This is the Christian ethic. And we are a family because of Christ. We find ourselves closer to each other than we would our natural families. This is, ought to be significant, we understand. That Paul could have used, in verse 10, be devoted to one another in brother love, he could have used different terms. He could have said, friends, be devoted to one another as friends, be devoted to another as peers, he could have said, as associates, as acquaintances. No, he chooses language of family, to symbolize, no, not symbolize, to show the genuineness of relationship in light of the salvation we now share together. And so when I read Romans 12, verse 10, there is this temptation to merely read it in a society that is highly individualistic as an individualistic response between me and Christ. And Paul says, the standard by which faith is revealed to one another is in the nature how you treat one another. You'll see this as we go along. Israel. The Jewish audience that Paul would have been writing to as well within the Gentiles, but within the church, the Jewish audience that read Romans chapter 12 understood this. We remember, it was Israel of all people who experienced the magnificent salvation of God out of an oppressed situation. It was in Egypt. For 400 years, they lived in oppression. And it was by God's gracious gift, he extended his hand of might, providing salvation to them, delivering them out of Egypt to become those who would inherit the promised land. And that, ten plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea, that significant event of salvation so fused a people into a whole new family. And this is what we read throughout all the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, that as a result of the salvation of God, it fused a people together in a family nature in which was closer by natural descent. Deuteronomy 7.6 For you are a holy people to be the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples of the face of the earth. His act of salvation so fused them and separated them from the rest of the world. And that they were practiced their fellowship in politics and religious and social order as a whole new entity. In fact, it was blasphemous after experiencing the salvation of God to say, let's go back to Egypt. Why? Because the salvation of God so fused them into a whole new people. Christians today, we find this challenge to where are we now? In light of the salvation that we now have experienced. 
and failing to realize that something greater, something more wonderful than a salvation that has freed oppressed people, but from freedom from death, which has oppressed all people, a greater salvation has come in light of that, realizing and understanding that in light of that, we have been fused into a whole new type of people, a family. Which this is why Paul can say, be devoted to one another and brotherly love. Why? Because the salvation of God is so significant, those who endure it are fused together into a whole new way of living and seeing one another as a family. Hosea, remembering the Old Testament and Israel's perspective to this, when Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. His salvation to whom he granted it, it fused them into his family. You read in the New Testament, you see it all over the place. And in fact, in, in Peter's first sermon, when they, the, his Jewish brothers thought he was drunk because the Holy Spirit had just indwelled the believers, the apostles, his, his fellow Israelites thought he was drunk. And so Peter goes before them in Acts 2.29 and he says, Brethren, the salvation that we once experienced, he identifies with them something greater has come. I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David, he both died and buried, and his tomb is with us today. And he'll go on to say, Jesus has bore his, the wrath and the sin of death. He has died, but now he has risen. Once again, in Acts chapter 3, you see Peter's continued commitment to this. And now, brethren, he pleads with his brethren to become brethren. I know you acted in ignorance when you killed Christ. Just as you rulers did also. Paul uses this same concept. Israel understood this. It's the Gentile that needs to be reminded that the salvation of God that's received in Christ fuses a whole people together as a family. Romans 9, 3, 4, For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated for, from Christ for the sake of my brethren. They understood that the salvation of God fuses all people into a whole new family. You understand? In fact, this is the idea that which Jesus escalates. When, he's, when Peter's he's building off something that's already known, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, family language. Remember, it was Jesus in the beginning of his ministry in Mark. Mark develops really quick. Mark chapter 2, there's nobody who doesn't know who Jesus is. He's so popular. He finds himself in a house. The religious leaders are in the house. The disciples are in the house. And his own mother and his own brothers can't get in. In fact, as the situation unfolds, Mark chapter 3, 31. Then his mother and his brother arrived. They can't get in to see their son or brother. And standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. The crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brother are outside looking for you. Behold, your family's here. Who should we give more attention to? Jesus answering. Answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at these, excuse me, looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever, not just natural descent, Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, sister, and mother. And that we know that through Christ, he came 
declaring, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And in light of the salvation he would bring to all humanity, whether black, white, rich, poor, slave, or free, that whoever responded by the will of the Father in repentance and receiving Christ would be more family than his family. In which Jesus, and now Paul, elevates the Christian ethic, perceives those who are in Christ as family, brotherly. And I know some of us might be thinking, why doesn't it say brother and sister? Well, I'll just remind you. Paul does something that we remember in Romans chapter 8. This is not on the slide. But remember that those who are in Christ, those whether women or man, and have inherited the position of son, firstborn, right. To be called brother is to mean have the highest honor within the family. And so, whether we're rich, poor, male or female, treat one another of the highest respect as the family, brotherly. This is the nature of how the church, the Christian ethic works. The Jews understood this. We've got to learn to understand this. Ironically, the early church, they did get this. Justin Martyr, just to mention another ancient church father, he, in his time, had to write what we call today the apology. Not apology of I'm sorry, but apology I am clarifying leaders, Roman leaders, what Christians believe. In light of this, we have his writings today because there was this clear misunderstanding by the world perceiving Christians. They had three primary accusations that Roman culture had against Christians. One, Christians are atheists. How? Well, Rome believed in many gods. Christians believe in one sovereign God. To refuse the rest of the gods was to be atheistic. You could tell the modern atheists, we are there first, right? We believe in one God. Actually, you've gone further to believe in no God. That's, that's not what Christians would hold. Two, the second charge that was against them is that they were cannibalistic. They ate humans. Well, how could you be charged with that? Like, sign me up for that church, right? No, Christians participated from the world. They could not understand what Christians would talk about in the love feast. They would gather as a family, and they would eat this bread and this drink from this cup in which the bread represented the body and the cup represented the blood. In fact, there were discussions that were going throughout lies and myths that Christians would actually slide an infant into the bread and then cook it and then cut it. It was awful, right? And which... The apologist says, no, that's not true. We don't eat people. We eat only of Christ. The bread represents his body. So one, Christians were criticized as being atheistic, cannibalistic, and practicing in incestuous relationships. In fact, this is where be like the early church bound this. They understood that salvation so fused a people into a whole new way of life, a family. And the perception of the world is like, That guy just said he married his sister. And that sister just said that she is so excited to marry her brother. In fact, at the entire gathering, they all call each other brother and sister. And it got even more troublesome because we recognize, even in our own setting, natural families exchange the wealth of their family to the family after them. The father would say to, my, to, to say to me, my son, this is your inheritance. 
But now there is a new and greater family that's come. This Christian community threatened the inheritance of the world in which it perceived you keep the, fam- the money within the family, the inheritance within the family. But now this new f- religion, this Christian emphasis would exchange their inheritance and grant it to someone who was not in their family. In fact, you can read this in Acts chapter 2. They sold all their possessions and they exchanged it and gave it to anyone in the family with need. That threatened the normal economy in which the world operated. Why? Because they were devoted in light of the salvation that they inherited and recognizing that salvation, it so fused them into a whole new way of life, a new family. And it didn't matter if that person in need was a slave. In the pagan world, you would never give inheritance to a slave, but in this Christian community, it didn't matter who you were. You sold your possession and you loved everyone equally. I love that. The challenge is for us in an individualistic society, we often are unaware of the needs that we all have. Because of this, just the realistic reality that we live at a hands distant from one another. I challenge us to remember that is putting off the opportunity to worship. It is fitting to be called Christian, but to practice it in reality is the worship in the ordinary. We don't need the Colosseum to test the fruit of our faith. Rather, the fruit of our faith is practice in the ordinary. Fathers, when your children become those who are committed to Christ, they now deserve, just as even before, but even more so now, that they are now your brother, male or female. Equal inheritance of the prize which is found in Christ. Which we will come to realize in point two here yet, but I still have a little more I want to labor on this. This new devotion that we find ourselves committed to, that, we, that is this expression of our faith and worship, will be witnessed, no doubt, by the world as we practice fellowshipping more with one another. First Peter acknowledges this reality. For the time has already passed. For, all, for the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles. You once pursued, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. This is how your former family had fun. But now, because of the salvation you inherited in Christ, the Spirit's work within you in Christ, and all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation, and they malign you. The early church, and even still to this day, is threatened by this new family and loyalty that they ought to show to one another. So indeed, it is fitting to be called Christian, but it is practiced in reality. It's practiced in the ordinary. Romans 12, this Christian ethics 
do not be conformed to this world, verse 2. How do we worship? How do we press into the salvation that we've come now to enjoy in Christ in worship and this devotion to pour towards our brotherhood, brotherliness, and brotherly love? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove that the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Um, I grew up in a church, Vales Community Church, Spokane, Washington, that committed to this. And I recognize and I know that many of us have not had that experience. When you have brothers and sisters in Christ working their salvation together for a long run, the fruit of that love is wonderful. I taste it, I've tasted it myself, and I long for us to enjoy that too. But it's not earned. It's not enjoyed in one weekend or an hour and a half. The means by which we practice this out cannot merely be just accomplished in this one-hour setting here. You know what? If you were to leave this afternoon and go and have lunch together, you worship. It doesn't have to be programmed It merely has to be exercised in the ordinary. And when we do this, it is the form by which we show the world our love and commitment to one another. And I would ask you to invite somebody that you wouldn't normally invite and that you would find the joy of getting to know what Christ has done in them as well. Romans 8. I'll read this and we'll go to point 2. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption, a sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, together. So the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if in, indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him because of Christ and the salvation that we have together and the Spirit's work within us, we're family. In some sense, Paul has said to us and reminds us, devote yourself. And when you devote yourself to this, you worship. This is your spiritual, your reasonable response to the salvation which God has given to you. But more than that, by exercising one another, brotherly love, point two, do it in honor. Romans 12, 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. And if you so choose to take someone to lunch after this service, there will be a point in the time in which the meal, the check comes. If you remember, we do this all the time. Are you going to pay? I'll pay for that. No, I'll pay for that. I'll pay for that, right? The idea is fight on who can do the better for the other. Not fight, but I mean, you get the point. Like, let's see how we can outdo one another in loving one another and sharing honor towards one another. No, it would honor me more if I could pay. It is fitting to be called Christian, to practice it in reality. And we can do this in ordinary, ordinary patterns of life. We don't need the Colosseum. In fact, throughout church history, the means by which the gospel has been portrayed clearly to the world at times has been in the Colosseum, but in practice, it's been in the ordinary. 
I remember, hesitate to say this, but when, and I might have before, but when I lived in Texas and we went to New Life and I was on staff at New Life, reminding many of you that I was a white kid in a black church, there was a Sunday where I was leaning up against the wall and I found myself thinking, why am I here? Culturally different, politically Many times, very different. The one thing that I remembered and realized, because of the same spirit that we all have in Christ, the salvation that we all share in Christ, we're a family. And so often, we are unwilling to show honor towards one another. And if I think that way. I think we all think that way, right? That might be too lofty to think that. But at times we'll think, why Why do I want to show honor to this individual? We get satisfied in our own practices, and our own realities. Well, they think politically different than us. They eat different foods. Well, why don't we practice a little bit of love and outdoing one another? And you will find deep riches one of the things that I enjoyed at New Life is that they would have died for me and my family. And I was different. And when the world sees that, they see something they can't see anywhere else but the church. And when the church is not close enough to one another to exercise that form of worship, then what hope do they have? Because they desperately want it themselves, but they can't find it. And in fact, as we read the epistles, and we will as we go through, as time will allow us in the history or the future ahead of us, one of the issues that the church faced was racial issue. Jews and Gentiles, your brothers, work it out. Go to 1 Corinthians, you'll see the problems there. Consider one another and give preference to one another in honor. See if you can outdo the other. Why? Why would we do that? Well, it's rooted in theology. If the Spirit resides in you as a result of the gracious gift that God has given towards you, the Spirit of God, to serve Christ is to serve the brother. For Christ, the Spirit of God, indwells each one of us. This is why Paul will say in Ephesians 5.21, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Why? Because Christ resides in that person too. And not to devote yourself to that pervert person is to actually refuse the opportunity to serve Christ. This is how we think. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. Outdo one another. I imagine if Christ was present today, we'd all stop to give him our attention, right? We wouldn't interrupt. Well, he is in the spirit of God with his children dwells one of us, each of us. Change the way that you listen, will it not? So do nothing out of selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look at, out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And when you do that, you serve Christ, you worship Christ, you honor Christ. You're not conformed to this world, but you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you see your beloved brother as the greatest opportunity to express the love of Christ and the worship of Christ. In worship. Can I show you something? 
Matthew 25. You have your Bible, sorry. I just want you to read it. It's a longer section. Time gives me, yes, I'm good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Outdo one another. It's the great white throne judgment. Nobody wants to read this one because, well, it's when all things are finally separated, the, the sheep on one side, the goats on the other. And if, you, if we can grasp this reality, it will change the way that you come to church. No, just live the Christian life. If the greatest relationships you have are with the unbelieving, I question your relationship with Christ and your love for him. Verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will gather before him and he'll separate from them from one another. As the sheep separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. The king will say to those on his right, Come, come, you, you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked and clothed, you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. You did all these things for me. Come enjoy your reward. Then the righteous will answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? We didn't see you. When did this happen? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Verse 40. The king will answer and say to them, now remember, Romans 12, 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. You want to serve Christ? You want to worship Christ? Do we want to show the gratefulness that we have for the salvation that we've all inherited in Christ. How do you do it, church? You love one another. And by doing so, you serve Christ. For the Spirit of God indwells all those who have responded in repentance and in belief. The Spirit's indwelling is now in them, and to serve them is to serve Christ. Listen to the charge to those who have not fed Christ, served Christ. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. The response is just the same as those who inherit righteousness. Then they, will, they themselves will also will answer, and the result is ultimately eternally disastrous. 
They will say to themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison or did not take care of you? If you were here, we would have. When did we reject that opportunity? Verse 45. Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these. Who are those? The beloved. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteousness eternal life. The world's condemnation is you did not respond rightly to whom Christ resides and therefore did not respond in worshiping me. Quite frankly, I hope that we give the outright representation of Christ because when we give the right representation of Christ, when they do reject, they reject Christ. But when we, we don't follow Christ, oh, what great dangers we present the world with. The great way that we worship Christ is loving one another. And I love verse 40, 40, even the least. Why? All equal. And it changed the world. They're incestuous. They practice an incest. Why? Because they're a family. They, a brother marries his sister and a sister marries his brother. They're all equal. They take the money from the world that they've inherited from their families and they just give it to one another. It's offensive. No, it's loving. We're not bound to our natural families. We're bound by this great salvation which has been realized in Christ and the world will know Christ by our love for one another. So I ask the individual who says they don't need to love one another, go gather with the saints as a means for salvation. What I'm saying is some might say you don't have to, be, have to go to church to be a Christian. Paul, the scriptures say, what? What are you talking about? Because to refuse Christ is to refuse where the Spirit indwells. That's where I plead with you. As we are tempted in the seasons of life, love one another. There's no greater way to show your love for Christ by practicing these things. Christ made great lengths to share it and show it. And Paul does as well, as well as the rest of the apostles. In fact, this does not mean, I, can, I imagine the critic might say, well, then you're just going to love each other and forsake the world. Well, that's unchristian too. Like we ought to love the world. Galatians 6.10 so then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. We have a responsibility to live out the gospel for all people. It's not just ours. And especially, as he concludes in verse Galatians 6.10, especially to those who are of the household of, of the faith. It was Jesus, when he talked about the disciple in Matthew 10, He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Verse 39, he who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. This is why we can hear the language. If one loves his own natural family more than me, he doesn't love me. Rather that he will actually now give up his natural family for this whole new family. 
which is Christ. And he who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. You honor God, you honor Christ when you love one another. Okay, our convictional response. I think, as if that wasn't convictional already, but I think there are two primary ways that we struggle with this. When I was in Dallas, I watched families leave jobs in which their families worked so hard for them to get. Sacrificially spent years getting them ready to go to the college so they can get that job that would provide for their family, only to realize when they became Christian to forsake all of it. Oh, insulting that is. And you can hear the terror of the separation from the natural family for the new family in God. There is temptation in all of us to value the natural families that we've come in over the family of God. Like this is what Luke 14, 26 says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. It will change hate within the sense that Christ is primary and your devotion to him and to those whom resides with him is primary. It's going to kill you. And I remember sitting with men, women, that felt that terror as their parents perceived them as rejecting every effort. What a hard season to learn to walk in humility and grace. I think the other thing is while we have this temptation to value natural family over the family of God, I think we all struggle with the value to, tr- to, to value ethnic or racial family over the family of God. I think we all identify with what we are. And it brings me great honor that you as a people don't just make it about your color, I hope. Or your wealth. Some of us are farmers. Some of us work at Hanford. Some of us can talk a different language than others. But yet, the salvation which God gives us, we ought to be reminded, it is so fantastic. It's given to those who are all under sin that when we inherit it, we are all of a new family. And all the nations will be gathered and out of that nation he will separate the, le- the, sh- the sheep from the, the goats. And so I find it fascinating as I was on a trip a couple weeks ago and the moment that someone realizes that two people are Christians, the bond that immediately happens there. Well, how does that take place? It doesn't have to happen on color or issue. It's just the issue of Christ. Maybe we would be known for that. Galatians 3, Paul has to remind these Jews and these Gentiles, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with yourselves with Christ. There is neither then no Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For all, you are all one in Christ. And as a result of that, devote yourself to brotherly love and outdo one another in this practice. Your family's here, Jesus. Your family's here. They want to talk to you. And Jesus says, 
No. Who's my family? Whoever does the will of God. Doesn't matter if he's slave, rich, or poor. He is my brother. He is my sister. He is my mother. So I encourage you in your reflection as we head out that you don't rush out. We, we do do small group ministry. Um, our hope there is that you get together and speak highly of Christ together and encourage one another in that regard. So if you're not in a small group, get in one or sign up for one. Two, like, serve. Get involved. Don't just, like, let me commend the middle school and high school kids. Like, you guys are serving. Our kids' ministry has a ton of kids. Guys, we need adults. We have too many youth and middle school, high school kids serving. And we need to pair them with adults. What a great problem. Adults, can we lead? That's a guilt. A convictional, right? I'm supposed to be a convictional response. Serve. And the way you can do it is so vast. I hate writing down things that you can do it, but like kids' ministry is always one. We need media, sound. Small group leaders. I, the list could go on and on. Love one another. Outdo it. Outdo one another. And when you do, we serve Christ. We honor Christ. We worship Christ. Spend time together. I don't need to organize that. Just invite each other over and worship Christ. And you heard down here in the end, it's going to say, be hospitable. That's like, that is what the Apostle Paul, appointed by Christ, says, this is worship. Do it. One I think I think for some of us might become a challenging. This don't stop being brotherly in the seasons of history that Reliance has been. I know. People come in, they watch, they see, they witness, and you build bonds with them, and you pour yourself into them, and then one Sunday they're gone. Where do they go? I imagine if you're like me, you want to stop investing. Because I'll just tell you, it's not you, it's probably me. I probably said something, and they didn't like it, and they left. I hope that's not it. I hope it's, but I think there's a temptation that as we pour each other into each other, we want to stop doing that. I plead with you. Outdo one another. Pour yourself out. Because this is exactly what Christ has done for you. While you were enemies of Christ, he loved you. And so that way, our beloved that come and are looking for a place to to enjoy worship. They're not our enemies, no doubt. But what a great opportunity to walk alongside them as they try to figure out where they're finally, where they would want to invest themselves. Two, finally, well, it's not two, it's like five things I got here. Um, I would say communicate your devotion with the leadership. Our membership class, which was announced, why we call it membership class is because that's, I think, helpful. 
But as an eldership, we recognize that as people sit in our fellowship, that people are watching. But at some point, there's a communication that we're family. And this is where we want to stick. And we want to submit ourselves to one another, to the leadership here at Reliance. And the way that we best understand that new transition in the relationship is through this formal conversation. It's really hard if that's never been communicated. Like, we know this when we start dating someone, like if you never clearly articulate, I like you, you know, that, that, that just makes the relationship awkward. We don't say that way, I'm sure, but I think that's enough for today. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love or family. Outdo one another. Let's see if we can beat each other in being humble towards one another and gracious and serving. And when we do... We worship Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the grace that you give us and that you do not have to send us to the Colosseum to demonstrate our faith. Some of us might have to go up here before dangerous situations, I suppose. But the faith that which you give us, the fruit that which we get to enjoy in the spirit of Christ is experienced in the ordinary in the daily activities of life. And so, Lord, I pray that as we are, even yet still, this, I would say, a young group of saints, Lord, I pray that as you continue to allow us to enjoy that, that our love for one another would daily increase as we enjoy to serve you in light of what you've done for all of us in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.